Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 75th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, did you know that flesh and blood is fun? Did you know that it's, it can be a fun experience? I, I did. I, I had a lot of fun playing Flesh and Blood last weekend. So Same. I It was the most fun I've had in months. I had a blast. It was great. I think my a tweet that stood out to me was uh, Michael Fang took a picture of us all drafting at 2 a.m. Sunday night after the tournament was over. And he's like, after playing a long day of Flesh and Blood, we came back and played more Flesh and Blood picture taken at 2 a.m. It's just us all like half asleep, having a good time drafting bright lights. It was sweet. It was a good weekend. Yeah. Bright Lights is fun to draft. I genuinely like drafting Bright Lights so far. I think it's a... My initial concern was it's going to be very soupy, but I don't think mm-hmm. it's as soupy as I thought it was. And I think there's actually a surprising amount of like nuance between the archetypes in the heroes. Do you agree with that so far? Yeah. Yeah, I think there are cards that are just like universally good, like... A lot of the good red boost cards are good at all three heroes, but like some of them still have like you'd still prefer them as certain heroes or prefer them against certain heroes too. So I think it's overall, I'd say it's a pretty good draft format. Yeah. And like there's even interesting things you could do. I remember the first time you showed me the dash tech little leveler build instead of using her symbiosis shot. You, you put ahead a bunch of evos and you played that style of like almost a fatigue style dash with just getting some value from the items i was like oh that's sick it's really cool and i think there are some small interactions that i think come up very infrequently surrounding majestics that can be a little bit feel bad and snowbally specifically when there's that tank card that takes all the steam counters off of all of my <laughs> uh, hyper drivers, drivers. attack it with one card, and I max, and I just instantly lose the game because I have all these hyper drivers, and then I have no hyper drivers anymore, and then I spend all this time and resources building up, and then I feel sad and lose the game. But you know, aside from that, I've had good times. Yeah, I think demolition protocol may be a bit much. Just a raging onslaught that kills a hyperdriver for each evo you have um or kills all steam counters from any item for each evo you have just doesn't need a hit doesn't need anything it's just above rate well on rate on constructed rate a three for seven so two cards seven two cards in your extra for seven which is not the easiest thing to do in this format you don't just didn't they were they were pretty stingy with uh finishers you know um yeah so it's but even though, pretty hard to get value ones. Like, I think I was at four or five life playing against Lucas in our draft, and he just plays like a nine dominate or nine overpowered tank at the end game. And I just looked <laughs> at my hand and I was like, oh, guess I'm dead. So, I don't know. Yeah. Overall, though, I still really like it. Yeah, I think all of the non dash majestics are quite good in this format. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair. Fair take. Maybe. Maybe the maybe there's the majestic shoes that uh, eat some hyper drivers that aren't very good compared to the other three of those equipment. But man, it's it's a the majestics are really strong. Yeah, if only we were playing in a limited calling this past weekend. Remember when those existed in North America? 
Pepperidge Farms remembers I, when limited callings existed in North America and you didn't have to travel to New Zealand for one. If you go to Barcelona, there's a limited calling in a month. That's still not North America, but good point. That is not North America. That's only it's only like an eight hour flight. It's it's like a third the flight duration or a third as much time flying as it would take you to get to New Zealand. I'll tell you what. If James White emails the dean of my college and says Roger needs an extension on his finals to come play in a limited calling in Barcelona, I will go if he emails my dean. But if he does not email my dean and give me a time extension, then I can't go to Barcelona. What what if he emails your dean and your dean doesn't care? Who who would not care about a James White email? Are you crazy, Michael? Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, I don't know. I think I think like James White is very famous in our niche. I don't know if that encompasses your How do you know that my dean in my college doesn't like flesh and blood? I said I don't know. I don't well, know. I think there is a reasonable chance that it does not though. Then how did I get into law school? Why else would they admit me unless they knew that I was on a flesh and blood podcast? That's the only reason why right. school would admit me. You're right. That that must be it. To bring that the prestige to the Robert McKinney not, School of Law. <laughs> not because you studied for a long time beforehand and tested really well on your pre-law school test that I can't remember what they're called. No, nothing like that. Just just because of your it was it was doing the manner podcast is what got you into law school. Yeah, that's when I teach Austin. If you want to get into school when you get older, you have to have a semi-successful podcast at a niche card game. That's the only way you can do it. Well, well, I'm I'm happy for my that I could play a part in contributing you into getting into law school. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for winning worlds. That really helped get me into law school. <laughs> get a podcast on to the next level. If you never won worlds, I might not have ever gotten into law school. So you know. You know, you're really welcome. I, I did it for you, Roger. That's I know. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, but we played Classic Instructed, and you played Lexi, and I played Bolton, and then you won a lot of matches, and I didn't win a lot of matches, but I had fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I played Lexi, and I ended up 9-3, and three, which got me 13th place. I lost to Matt Vore in round four or five of the first day, and then I actually lost to Gee, I think the first round of the second day. Maybe the second round of the second. I think, no, the first round of the second day. So my first two losses were to the two finalists of the calling. And then Levi juiced me with Azalea. It was not a particularly close game. Yeah. Oh, well. At least the good news is Drummai's going to Living Legend too soon, right? She's going with Lexi. So then we'll have a new format of new innovative decks and heroes and an open metagame. Well, Drummai's been unplayable for so long. She just got on top. True. Yeah, let's have it. She can have her time in the sun. That's fair. Yeah. Dromai was unplayable for a long time. She's not unplayable anymore. I think we can officially call it Dromai playable deck confirmed. All it took was two sets of giving her very good majestics and revamping her how her entire resource and card economy worked with a single majestic card. And look at that. She's playable. Hey. Tome is a very, very good card, very, um, very powerful. But what? Only one of the two draw my decks in the finals even played Tome in their deck. And which one won? 
I think I think the one that chose to put the very powerful card in their deck. But oh, there you go, there you go. I rest my case. Okay, but there's a band and a suspended announcement coming along once the Lexi Living Legend thing happens before Worlds, right? Yeah, yeah, there is. So I'm going back on all my opinions. I've this is this is how you can tell I'm growing as a person and I'm not stubborn and my mind can in fact be changed on various things when presented with facts and information and printing broken new majestics. So I think Drum is playable and I think they should ban remembrance. Or take that we were we were both adamantly against nine months ago, six months ago, but I think it's time for remembrance to go. Why? Because I think Dromai with Remembrance is not good. I don't like Dromai being able to shuffle back in, rake the embers and chromize and those dragon loops. And I think if you ban Remembrance, Dromai just has to play with the card economy that she starts with in deck without having to, you know, loop back in these critical game pieces. And I think it solidly moves her Matt Bravo matchup into a two-hour-long grudge fest that is not fun for anybody involved into a solidly Bravo-favored match and would be a, another healthy check on Dromai in the metagame. I'm suspicious that Remembrance is even that good in Dromai right now. It it did uh, it did win the calling. Like, Remembrance was in Guy's deck. I think it was also in Matt Vore's deck. I'm not Yeah, they positive, both were running it, yeah. But... Remembrance is a card that has been not very good for quite a long time and has been Just like played played significantly more often than it should have been for a long time. Um, I am quite suspicious of it needing to go anywhere or being problematic. I think that the format is still very targeted at Lexi. Most decks are like, I am trying to beat Lexi. Dromai is a secondary consideration because Lexi's been the best deck and the most played deck at every tournament for a long time. I think that once Lexi's gone, all these other decks can adjust to try to fight Dromai. And if Dromai stays priority number one, I think we might see, like maybe we'll see that Dromai is too good and action needs to be taken, but I don't think we're there yet. And I don't think Remembrance is the card I would go to if I wanted to tone down Dromai because it's only played in the Dromai mirror and maybe Bravo. To be fair, I'm not advocating for this ban strictly to tone down Dromai necessarily. I'm advocating for this ban as priority number one, having fun games of flesh and blood that don't take two and a half hours to reach their natural conclusion. Uh, We saw even in the top eight of PT Baltimore, there was that two and a half hour game between uh, the Dromai player and Matthew Fung. Like that game was a slog. Michael Fung. Yeah, that was... Uh, The the Dromai split. The Dromai's name is Yuha. Yuha? Uh, that game took four. I don't remember his last name. It took, it took two and a half hours. I remember starting watching that game for 20 minutes and then getting up, having existential life experiences, watching my son <laughs> take his first steps, flying home, flying back, waking up the next day. And the match still was going on, Michael. That's how long that game of Flesh and Blood was. And it's because of Remembrance. Without Remembrance, that game does not take two and a half hours. The Dromite just runs out of cards, like should happen in a game of Flesh and Blood. You use your cards, they go to their graveyard, that's it. You use the resource. Why Why should Dromai be allowed to loop back in, or any deck, really, like be able to just repeatedly loop back in these cards into their deck? 
I mean, I think Crown of Seeds is also a pretty solid contributor for that game going <laughs> two and a half hours, which is not a card that you can play in any deck right well, that now. That card's out of the metagame too. So <laughs> I, I also think that untimed play rounds are always going to take longer than Swiss rounds. So I think if that game was played in Swiss, they, they may draw, but honestly, it could actually reach a real conclusion if both players played at a pretty quick pace. Because when you're in untimed rounds, you are not incentivized to play very quickly, just long enough that you're playing at a, a pace that's not going to get you in trouble. You want to spend as much time thinking about your complicated plays as you can, especially when you're playing for $50,000. Sell me on why Remembrance should stay then. What good does it do to the format? What, what function so, does it serve in the metagame? I think that in general, there is a cost of banning cards. Um, you don't want to ban cards unless there's a good reason to. Like, what good does having Critical Strike legal in the format do? What is it, what's it doing for the metagame? It's giving you a red five power, one cost attack that blocks for three at generic in the format which is innocuous, but it's not either egregious or too powerful or not. It's just, it's just there. So I, I think it's just like a card that's never going to see play. Probably won't ever see play, but like it's already seeing play. We already saw it see play in a bunch of calling winning deck lists now. Critical strike. No remembrance. Oh yeah. Yeah. I said, <laughs> sorry. Um, remembrance is yes. It's seeing play, but I, What positive experiences does it create in a game of Flesh and Blood? Two hours later. I'm not going to fight you about this. I don't have, uh, I did not do any homework about why I don't think Remembrance should be banned. You just kind of threw this on me. I do not agree, but I don't have a strong argument for it right now. It's In my mind, it's exactly the same. If you're banning Drona Brutality because it creates unfun game loop experiences that go on for too long and want games to reach their natural conclusion remember it checks all those boxes as well and should probably go but we'll see i don't make the decisions uh, you know if, if i made all the banner restricted announcement and decisions lexi would still be not hitting living legend because voltaire would be banned so i don't know journal brutality is different than remembrance in my opinion i think journal brutality is not banned for parallel reasons it's banned because it fundamentally breaks flesh and blood in that you are supposed to be able to run out of cards when you have Drona Brutality in your deck. You cannot actually run out of cards. Remembrance does not prevent you from running out of cards. It delays it at the cost of spending a full card from your hand. You get to shuffle in three cards from your discard pile into your deck, which is spending one card to add two cards to your deck, but you're also spending a card drawn for this, uh, this advantage, basically. Okay. If you say so, Michael. You're the world champion. I'm just a caster. What do I know anymore? Okay. <laughs> I think which if oh go ahead. I think if you want to argue that it should be banned because it is not a fun play experience, that's not something that I really have strong opinions on. Um, I don't think it would power level wise. It definitely is fine, but if it's not a fun play experience, then sure you can say that and say that's the reason to get rid of it. That's my argument, and I'm sticking with it. Okay. I'm casting the first event, Battleheart in St. Louis. I'll be casting it. I'll be using my voice and eyes in order to analyze games of flesh and blood and talk about them in real time. 
Are you, are you excited to cast? You seem very excited about this. I am excited to cast. I'm going to be doing the Bowhorn for sure. I think I'm likely doing the PTI uh, pro bono. Uh, just just want the reps. Just need to get that casting experience and maybe uh, as many reps in the booth as I can get. I think I'll be taking it. And I'm already excited. I hope you do really well because that means I get to troll you while you're playing a game of Flesh and Blood. Then you won't even know it until you go back and watch the replays later. It's going to be sick. To you. If I get to comment one of your games, I'm going to be so, I'm going to be thrilled. It's going to be, I'm looking forward to that the most out of anything on the weekend, if that happens. Well, hopefully, hopefully I can, I can do well for you so you can have a great time trolling me on stream. I am planning on going. I think I am playing Lexi again, probably a very similar list to my Dallas list. I might change a couple cards. There's a small chance that I pivot something else, but I think I'm going to Bolton. save everything else for Worlds and keep that on under wraps for now and just play Lexi at St. Louis. Yeah, keep our broken Bolton builds under wraps. Yeah, there. Yep. Yep. I don't. <laughs> you, it was crazy that you just registered in Dallas. That was supposed to be top secret. Yeah. Well, you know, I knew. I I I, I purposefully let John win on Bravo and then purposefully forgot what my arsenal was against Matthew Dilks where I thought I had a Lumina Ascension Arsenal and it was not a Lumina Ascension. I purposefully did that. So to ensure that I wouldn't day two and the key, the tech would stay under wraps, but still get to take it out for that test drive, you know? Yeah. Th- thinking, thinking a card is Lumina Ascension and it being not Lumina Ascension seems really, really rough. Seems like a pretty punishing mistake. It's not great. Can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I was tired. I was sleepy. I played so many of my games went so long when you when you play Sabres Bolton. I fatigued like five people on the day, four people on the day. They just ran them out of cards. And when you play a fatigue Bolton, you just have to make so many decisions and block. And it's hard, Michael, because I'm not like old time. I don't have prowess. I don't have powerful disruptive on hits. I got a stupid saber. That's not, that's what I got to work with. <laughs> Take two. Back. Although it turns into three when you have the whatchamacallit, uh, Iron Song versus. So it turns into that three power thing, which you get your first courage token, and then the black with an attack, then it goes to four. So the fact that the sabers always have that built in evasion is actually pretty nice. I think Bolton's mm-hmm. an interesting deck. I think I'll probably keep working on sabers Bolton going forward. And. I don't think it'll be tier one, though, post post all this. Even if they ban Remembrance on a Dromai. I think that's easily one of his worst matchups. So as long as Dromai's on top, Bolton's solidly not going to win be winning any tournaments anytime soon. Yeah. Not not to give everyone the perfect strategy to defeat our world's deck, but when they tumble tie your courage of blade holders, it's very hard to combo them. But when they tumble tie your uh Warband of Bologna, you can still win. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to St. Louis. It's going to be fun. We're going to drive down together, have a good time. It'll be great. Yeah. So this is the last big CC tournament before Lexi LLs, right? There's nothing else left? No, there's a calling in Auckland. Is there? Yeah, Brody, Brody and Michael are going play. to it. They go to everything. That's not saying much. <laughs> so that's how I know it exists, though. Battleheart in October. Nope. October is not. This was November. the last big event. Oh, Battle there's Hard a calling. And then, oh, calling Melbourne. 
Melbourne. Melbourne, not Auckland. In Mel- Australia. Yeah. What format is it? Class constructed. Yeah. Why? So they let Lexi be the best deck for three callings. Why would they do this? Hey, the last calling had a Dromimir in the finals. No Lexi to be seen. Only three Lexis in the top eight. No Only other Lexis, Lexis to in be the seen. top eight. What are they? Yeah, they all got beat up. I'm off my soapbox at this point. We all know, and I know it. It's, it's and I was right. You know, it's I'm not gonna. I don't need to stand up and shout from the rooftops that I'm the world's smartest person in the world that was ever existed and always right about metagame calls. But you know, yeah, especially when you said Dromai was unplayable by a million times. That was so much, That well. was so long ago. She was unplayable <laughs> before the stupid tome of the Imperial yeah. Flame. Now she's playable. unplayable at PT3 where she got second and third things change you know i can't i can't mm-hmm. help that they printed an entire set to supporting light and shadow heroes and they're still bad <laughs> and they give dromai one card and one expansion slot in a mechanologist set and she becomes a tier one deck i can't i can't control what cards are are, are printed in the game of flesh and blood to balance metagames I just, it's not something i can do unfortunately fair it is a very good card, though. Sleepy? Mm-hmm. I am. I am. I thought about napping earlier today, and then I was like, no. Hmm. No naps. No. Oh. I just had a long day of law school, followed by cooking dinner, made some mac and cheese. It was great. And then now I'm recording this podcast. We recorded university, and then I have to finish writing some papers after this. So just a casual day for me. I'm going to bed after this. But anyway, flesh and blood. <laughs> So, do you think that Dromai is favored into Lexi now? We saw, I think, 41 Dromais and 50-something Lexis at Dallas. We saw more Dromais make top eight than Lexi. And uh, also Dromais took down all the Lexis in the top eight. Hold on. Hold on. I'll tell you how I get my very official opinions. I got to hack into this database real quick. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, I'm in the February backend meta results to see what heroes are winning where. I, I hacked into this very skillfully right now. Uh, Lexi is currently 51% into Dromai, so it's the closest matchup she has outside of her her worst matchups right now at a 60% win rate for the month of October on February are uh, Riptide, uh, Lexi, the Mirror, and then Azalea, and then Dromai. And those are all at 51%. I guess Uzuri is at 43%. But this is part of the problem that I have with the format overall. So let's say, and it's why we saw, you know, three Lexis, four Dromais, because it it's become, in my opinion, a, a polarized two-deck format. Because let's say you're a big brain. You're like, okay, I'm going to take a Ninja or one of Dromai's bad matchups like Reinar or even Bravo or something like that, and say, okay, I'm going to target Dromai. I want to fight the Dromais. You go into the tournament, and you get paired against Lexi, and those get decks get thrashed by Lexi. Like, they are some of their decks' worst matchups are into Lexi. And you're like, okay, I know. I'll go beat up the Lexis. I'm going to play Uzuri or Riptide or uh, one of these other, like, Assassins or something like that. The, one of the few decks that actually have positive Lexi matchups. You go to the tournament, you get destroyed by Dromai. 
And so the fact that all the decks that beat Lexi get destroyed by Dromai and all the decks that beat Dromai get destroyed by Lexi, I think are why we see this polarized metagame at the moment. So what you're saying is it's time for Reinar Worlds. I mean, I think Levia <laughs> could be a decent choice for Worlds, for sure. Yeah. Sav- and Savage Lanes is right around the corner. Who knows what Reiner's going to look like? That's true. That's true. But that's after Worlds, so we'll have to wait for that. Yeah. But my point being is, I think what, and the other reason why I want Dromai to be taken down a little bit post-Lexi Band is I would like there to be a genuinely open metagame that has skill expression and matchups that have real hard checks and balances it built into the game i don't like it when there's a best deck and it just has like 50 percent or better matchups across the board because when you want to go and target that deck then it becomes incredibly difficult to do so and it's not like in a game of flesh and blood there's other things that you could do that are necessarily like hate cards because if you think about what a hate card would be in this game well Lexi plays from Arsenal, play the Arsenal blow up boom boom card, Command and Conquer. And that's just not good enough. Like, it's just like, that's just not how the game actually works. So, if there's no such thing as cards in themselves in the metagame that serve as viable functions or checks and balances on heroes, the heroes need to be the viable checks and balances on heroes. And to that end, I just think having flatter power levels would be more interesting overall. Yeah. I, I think I I like the idea of flatter power levels. I think a deck that's like as far ahead of as Lexi was before Dromai got to him kind of seems like it's reasonably too just too good, just too too much too too much farther ahead than the next best things. But like even if you look back, I think the the meta game where Lightning Briar was the best deck, even like this was forever ago, showing my flesh and blood age. But Oldheim had a greatly favored matchup into Briar, and then then you could see Prism, who was a huge dog to Briar that could show up to prey on the Oldheims. And it was like kind of like a matchup triangle there. And that seemed okay to me. And I guess even at PT Leo, Leo, we had a similar format where it was like the aggro decks, the Prisms, and the Oldheims. And the Oldheims beat up the aggro decks, the aggro decks beat up the Prisms, and the Prisms beat up the Oldheims. And yeah, I, d- I think those decks were all like similar power levels. But I don't know if it was, I don't know if it's that healthy when the matchups are like so one side favored that like you're kind of determining your placement based on just what pairings you get. Like, sure. I yeah, think it doesn't need to be that extreme. Like if we look into the win rates, I'm not saying everything needs to be like, Dromai into the assassins where she just currently just dunks on them like they're 30 percent win rate matchups or below for all the assassins into Dromai at the moment so that doesn't feel good but at the end of the day the innate strategies that Dromai is presenting just are on an access that the assassins aren't built to fight on and that's what creates that that's not necessarily the metagame or particular cards or abilities or heroes determining that that's just this the way that the strategies in and of themselves line up and 
that's what I think of when you like you were saying like the aggro decks beat up the illusionist. So aggro beats setup, setup beats control, control beats aggro. That's just how card games work. That's just how that's literally how all the best formats in any card game have ever worked ever in all time. Like different strategies should have checks and balances. And sure, you shouldn't say, well, like the aggro deck should 100% beat and we're playing rock, paper, scissors. There should be nuance and room for skill expression. But to have one deck just be the best thing to be doing and it just always beats both control and uh, setup decks, like that's also not great, right? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. No, I don't know. Card game metagames are hard. Yeah, it turns out it's really hard to, to, to make card games, to get card games balanced perfectly correct. Unlucky. Maybe we should play chess. Chess seems pretty balanced and perfectly correct. No, chess is horribly balanced. White is, like, so far ahead. That's fair. We should play Go. Go's perfectly <laughs> balanced. Uh, I don't know enough about Go to give a, an opinion on that. I think, like, the fact that they just give, like, X points to the player going second does seem like yeah, a pretty good balancing, balancing mechanism. And they, and they like, have changed that number as strategies have evolved in the game. So it seems like it's probably pretty balanced. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like if instead in chess, black got to put back on a pawn or something like that. I don't know. You'd have to like give them an extra piece or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not in charge of balancing chess either. I'm just saying. They're pretty, they're pretty think... overall skill-based games. I don't think balancing chess is the thing that happens. I think if the game was made like however many years ago, it just hasn't changed since then. Yeah, that's fair. So... What do you think about this this dual metagame, though? Do you think, if we compare it to metagames past, does it remind you more of, like, the Starbo days, where Lexi is of a similar level of Starbo? Do you think it's more open than what we're realizing it, and people are just being stubborn? Or do you think it's just these are just the best decks at the moment? So I think it is kind of hard not to compare it to the Starbo Prism format. Um, I think back to the indie calling that I won with Control Starvo forever ago, and the format was, it was like, there's Starvo, the best deck by a lot, then there's this illusionist that has potentially a slightly favored matchup into Starvo, not hugely favored, not not a bad matchup at all, though, just like, probably like slightly favored into what is the best deck, and then is worse into most of the rest of the field than the best deck is. And that's kind of where we're at with the Drill My Lexi metagame, where I would say that, Lexi's better into an open field, whereas Dromai might be slightly favored against Lexi, potentially. Yeah. I don't actually know if that's true, but I haven't played I, enough of this format. At least there was Chain, though. So that being a premier level like aggro deck was still perfectly viable, and we saw Chain winning the Pro Tour in the Starvo meta. And I can't point to a Chain in this meta at the moment. You could say Phi, like Phi is supposed to be the Chain well, of this meta, but like, come on. Yeah, but I, I don't actually know if Chain was good enough to compete with Starvo before. And then they banned Awakening and Autumn's Touch. And that's when Chain started doing... That, that's when Chain, I think, was actually a slight favorite into Starvo. Because Awakening and Autumn's Touch, like whether your strategy was to fatigue the Chains, giving up Autumn's Touch as a three block, or if your strategy was to race the Chains, giving up Awakening as just like, yeah, maybe you all fall behind a little bit. And then you're taking 16 Dominate go again with minus four on your next attack. Like... Whichever path you were taking, both both paths got nerfed from Starbo's side with the, the bannings. And I think that like 
if we saw a ban happen from Lexi or happen to Lexi, maybe we would have seen these other decks rise up that could challenge Lexi. But yeah, we saw Bullseye Bracers a while ago, and that just really proved to be not enough. So yeah, really shaving the narrowest of narrow percentages off of Lexi's win rate with that ban. But yeah. It, it made it made her best card or two of her three best cards in Rain Racers and Three of a Kind both recently worse by banning Bullseye Bracers, but still just this card is still very very good without it. So yeah, and then we look to a deck that like Icelander who was initially doing pretty well after the Bullseye Bracers ban, winning a bunch of tournaments there early, but now that Dromai's come back in a major way with this Utome. That's still a horrendous matchup for Icelander. And between Dromite being a very bad matchup and uh, Lexi being a very bad matchup, it makes sense why we see Icelander completely fall off the base of the cliff recently. Yeah, and even if you take that Dromite matchup and call it 50-50, which is probably a little bit of a stretch, I think Dromite's definitely, or Dromite's probably ahead of Icelander, but as the Dromites are trimming blues and not building their deck with Icelander in mind because Icelander is falling out of popularity, maybe there's a world where Icelander can have a reasonable matchup into Dromite. Just like the Lexi matchup so bad. Even if, like even after Bullseye Bracers got banned, if that matchup is really, really Lexi favored and a lot of things have to go right to win is Icelander. Yeah. People have said pretty frequently to me that, oh, the Icelander Dromai matchup's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's it's very bad. Like thing in my opinion, in my experience, not some of my least close games of Flesh and Blood have been Dromai v Icelander, where they just land a Thamai and I don't have any way to kill it that turn cycle. Okay, cool. Guess I'll just sit here with my sink below and my uh polar blast and my cold snap and my frosting blue okay neat i would i would advise you to sideboard out sink below's against dromai as icelander but that's another conversation sure Uh, yeah i just i I just think that going back to what i was saying earlier just the inherent game plan of dromai is good into what Icelander is doing because Icelander is so poor at dealing with the go-wide board that Dromai is presenting and just the inherent cards and strategies that Dromai is capable of presenting are not what I are not the fundamental access that Dromai or Icelander is looking to play even despite the fact that Dromai is a red line deck. Yeah, I I think I don't want to get too into the weeds about the Dromai v Icelander matchup specifically, but Dromai being essentially a mono red deck is kind of what Icelander is built to, like, it's a deck that's kind of meant to be preyed on by the ice deck. Like, if your deck is all reds, then that's the deck that should be vulnerable to Frostbites and Chainalic Bridges and any kind of ice disruption. And I think that both decks honestly kind of play pretty poorly into each other, but I don't know. That's a whole, whole other conversation. And most of my experience playing Icelander against Dromai was before Amulet and uh, Hypothermia got banned. And I think Hypothermia especially, but also Amulet were pretty big parts of that matchup feeling fine from the Icelander side. Yeah, that's fair. So Worlds, like we are talking about, right around the corner, there's a lot that's going to go into preparing to that on the Wolfpack, I'm sure. I'm not personally going, but I imagine there's a lot of work to be done in figuring out what this format looks like post Lexi. And as well as this draft format that we alluded to at the very top of the episode, that seems 
pretty deep, fun, complex, rewarding. So what are your primary focuses for heading into Worlds here, Michael? So basically I spent the last month or so, like since Bright Lights came out, just focused mostly on Bright Lights Limited, just doing as many drafts as I could online, in person. Oh, well, online kind of went away. So basically in person. <laughs> Though we have been doing some online drafts and the wolf pack still draft fab's gone but there's other there's other ways to do drafts online that are not as convenient but still are out there um so i'd say that drafting is like the number one priority getting your head around the draft format and feeling confident in the draft format it's takes longer than finding a construction deck that you can play and have reasonable results with so that was priority number one for me. I'm still looking to get drafts in when I can. I'll probably see if there's a draft going on in St. Louis this weekend. If, if there are any, then I will happily play in them, assuming I'm not in a tournament or driving home. Um, so that's priority number one. After that, I think that Dromai has kind of uh, claimed the title of deck to beat after this last weekend, crushing the calling, being four of the top eight, both finalist decks, and I think three of the top four as well. It's just a really, really strong showing for a deck. And the new Tome has proven to be extremely powerful. So my CC testing is probably going to start with Dromai and decks that feel solid into Dromai. That makes sense. Do you think there's an, any chance you'll play Dromai going into Worlds? Do you think you'll be a Dromai gamer? Or is it not really think... a deck that you really vibe with? No, I, I like Dromai. I spent a lot, I don't want to say a lot of time working on Dromai, but a decent amount of time working on Dromai. She's, honestly, I haven't spent a lot of time working on anything except Lexi in the last eight months, I feel like, maybe Briar, but I obviously ended up just playing Lexi at Nationals and not Briar. So um, I think there's a reasonable chance I end up on Dromai. Um, I'm usually someone that is trying to beat the best deck rather than play the best deck. I feel like that has always felt better to me, but I've also played Lexi for the last eight months. So maybe I can't say that anymore. And maybe I'll just end up on Dromai if I don't find anything that I feel better about taking. And I feel confident that if I spend time working on something else and it doesn't end up being good enough, then the team will have a Dromai list that is very, very solid that I can just kind of pivot to and try to just get reps in the last week or so. That makes sense. Is there any thoughts? So when we went to Lil, I remember I really struggled with like the time adjustments and things like that. Are you going to go earlier this time, spend the same amount of time? Do you think you'll have an easier time transitioning? Just what about like the actual physical demands of preparing for Worlds? So I thought about this a lot and <laughs> this is a little bit into my personal life, but um my wife, Casey, she got uh, a bed in a different room now. So some nights we don't sleep in the same bed. And hopefully this isn't TMI. But I think I'm going to plan on start going to sleep a little bit earlier. Because basically like 4 or 3 p.m. here is going to be 10 or 11 p.m. there. So I want to start shifting my sleep schedule even before I leave to start sleeping a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier. And then I actually get there Monday morning Barcelona time, I think. So because I get there Monday morning and the tournament doesn't start until Friday, I have 
several days to adjust my sleep schedule on top of that. So doing a little bit of the work beforehand to move my schedule back and then having that almost full week, I guess, full weekdays, four, four weekdays to kind of make sure I get my schedule fixed is my plan in terms of making sure I can sleep and get used to the new schedule. I have always been pretty sensitive to time zones and like sleeping weirdly where if I don't get good rest before tournaments, I kind of just like feel like crap the whole day. Like even at Dallas, I didn't sleep early enough Friday night. So Saturday between rounds, you might've seen me just like, well, people could have seen me just laying in the, in the hall outside of the event hall, just laying on the ground, using my backpack as a pillow. I just like, I think I actually got a 20 minute nap between one of my rounds. It's not bad. 20 minutes is solid. I don't know. I could never do that, but good for you, bud. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I don't know when I'm feeling bad enough, I just need to sleep. So yeah, that's fair. Uh, much like myself, my son is proving to wanting to fight sleep as much as possible. We're both stay awake until the very last minute and fight sleep, no matter what kind of people it turns out. So like father, like son in that regard. I see. I see. I do kind of wish I was going to Barcelona. I think if nothing else, even if not playing in pro to- or worlds, uh, playing in the living legend format, is also something I am extremely interested in doing. I kind of want to spend some time doing that over the next few months, maybe hosting another internal team tournament with the Living Legend format, maybe just getting even random Talishar games in, seeing if anybody else on the Wolfpack is interested in exploring it. But I want to play Living Legend. I think that format looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I think there's going to be a lot of depth to it. And whenever the inevitable us big event rolls around i think having the reps and prep put into that could pay off pretty significantly so i don't know we'll see at the same time i still have to yeah, stay law school so <laughs> you know priorities living legends for a tournament that may or may not come sometime soon or law school you know i think living legends is a clear winner here format does seem sweet i think like starvo is the go-to best deck but i think there is definitely some things that line up well against it. The one that strikes me the most is the new OTK Viscerite deck seems pretty good into Starvo. Though Starvo does have tools to justify that too and honestly there's still Prism. Prism's always been good against Starvo and I don't know. It'll be it'll be really interesting to dive into that but for me, I don't think I'm going to spend any time working on Living Legends until potentially I have scrubbed from <laughs> Worlds or the Calling um, because if I don't make day two of worlds, I'm going to play the, the sealed calling. And if I die in the sealed calling, then it'll be time to scramble and get a living legend deck together. <laughs> but just take Icelander with you. I think you get to play amulet of ice again. You get to play hypothermia. Like those are some pretty sweet cards. Remember those cards? Remember when you won worlds with those cards? Yeah. Yeah. I do remember. Um, I actually had Icelander with me when I went to Dallas because I wanted to play some Icelander games in a Brody or well, I needed to play Ice Lander games in a Brody because we had like a we had like an internal team tournament going where we had to bring three decks and one of my decks was Ice Lander. So sweet, I gotta play some Ice Lander in Azalea. Um I still think that matchup's good for Ice Lander, but I lost. So <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. Right now meta results on my hacked February says that Ice Lander is fifty-three percent in that matchup. Okay, confirmed. Talashar says it's Ice Lander favored. Fifty seven going favored. second. 
So 50% going first, almost 60%, 57% going second. So play draw matters quite a bit there, it looks like. It does in a lot of bad matchups, I feel like, but it's okay. Yeah, Game's good I think enough, especially it's fine. Play draw is not balanced. Lexi's isn't Lexi's yes Lexi is 55% so a very balanced hero I would say overall in the meta going first and then 63% going second across the board so yeah yeah there's there's a there's a pretty big advantage to going second usually in flesh and blood but then when Lexi also has his bow that can be activated as an instant going second so if your opponent uses their action point to set something up you're just like oh okay I'll activate Voltaire I'll load this arrow good luck Dromai's favored going first by 1%, 58 versus 57. That's interesting. Vincent is has a whole 7% extra going first. Vincent's 52% going first and 45% going second. Look at that, Vincent. You go. <laughs> Vincent's interesting. I think I can see that being a low sample size thing also. I feel like Vincent's not a super popular uh, hero right now. but 5,500 games. Okay, that's that's not the smallest sample size, but I I do not have this quote unquote hacked Talish data in front of me right now. Yeah, maybe I'll share it with the team if I'm feeling lucky. Oh yikes, yikes! I just hmm. rolled all the way down. We got Teclovesed, almost eleven thousand games. Twenty seven percent going first, twenty six percent going second. You got it. You got to give the guy a break. I mean, Icelander's win rate was like 30-something percent before Nationals, right? Something like that. Yeah, maybe maybe he just hasn't been figured out yet. Or maybe, maybe giving up all this powerful legendary equipment is uh, too big of a cost for a hero to be very good right now. Because, man, Tunic, Crown of Providence, all these legendary class-specific equipment, these are some very good cards. You yeah. don't get any of them if you're playing... Teclo and you get these. You don't even uh, get the good mech ones. You don't even get the Teclo Foundry out. Yeah, yeah. You, just yeah. Have... you get Cogworks, Cogworks base chest and Cogworks base legs. <laughs> these, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I think the base equipment. Just jumping to Teclo a little bit. I think the base equipment is bad enough that is a big part of why Teclo is having a tough time because. A lot of these Evo equipment, like the like the cog spitter or whatever, it's a two block arms. That's great. It costs zero. It's a yellow blocks two. It's uh probably not even better than like random. Definitely not better than like Grasp of the Arc Knight, and you have to spend a whole extra card to play that card in an action point to play this. So comparing like I guess the blue steel soul e- evos are probably all better than any equipment that anyone has available, but you have to spend a card, four resources and an action point to equip one of these. That's just, it's a really big cost. And yeah, the base starting equipment is real bad. So I don't know. We'll see if Teclo gets better. I think the biggest thing he's missing is just his base equipment is so bad. It's just so bad. <laughs> That's I don't his biggest understand why adaptive plating isn't, an evo i feel like a lot of this could be solved if adaptive plating was an evo because then you or a base yeah yeah base evo yeah uh that you could equip on top of it's a legendary it has an interesting ability you can block and scrap or galvanize with it and then equip an evo at instant speed before it like blows up let's say one of your different pieces of evos uh gets blown up then you can equip this 
adapt the plating from your sideboard or something like that in order to like fill it in. It just seems interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a way to equip adaptive plating from your sideboard. Fabricate only equips the protos, I'm pretty sure. Like the, the worst textless base oh, equipment. It? Yeah, it specifically says proto base. So <laughs> Oh. Equip a base equipment with proto and its name from your inventory. Womp yeah. womp womp. So I don't know. The the base equipment's so bad, but Getting these free cards to equip is is pretty strong, especially unlimited. It's very strong, but yeah, he's great. Constructed, it's sealed, and constructed. It's a powerhouse. Yeah, he's great. Giving up all these legendary equipments to do this is such a huge cost, and I like maybe maybe I'm wrong, but the community, the results on Talishar seem to show that the juice is not worth the squeeze, and maybe that'll change for worlds. But I I. I'm not super. I don't think I don't think it will. I think the legendaries yeah. are too good. Well, the next time you're playing with legendary equipment, always remember 